Well, for many, Jesus makes a fascinating topic of study and maybe not study, but uh, for a lot of us, at least a topic of conversation, uh, a film subject. There is a, a question that goes around uh, that's often asked of famous people or, or even just people like us. Uh, if you could have six or eight or however many people it is for dinner at any point in history, anybody in history, who would you have for dinner? And again and again, Jesus comes up as one of our ideal dinner guests. We have all sorts of people there. I, I heard that in the last ten years, the top two dinner guests were Bart Simpson, the TV cartoon character, and Jesus. So uh, I'm not sure what to make of that, that he's up there with Bart Simpson. But I guess uh, the thing that I, I thought of when I saw that they were the two that were up there is that uh, I think we find it as, or we think it's as easy to understand Jesus as it is Bart Simpson, that we've got him cornered, we've got him figured out. We may even know a few things about him, uh, things that he's famous for saying. Judge not lest you be judged, love one another. But often the picture we have of Jesus and the things that he says are more like the chorus of a Beatles tune than reality. He's the original hippie, sunshine, sandals and smiles. That's the picture often we get of Jesus. And as long as he stays that way, he's welcome to have dinner. As long as he's sort of that interesting, quirky, left field kind of guy, a bit out there, then we're happy to continue our interest in him. But what if he was to come close? What if he actually did come to dinner and you spent the night chatting with him and he with you? Have you ever imagined what that would be like? Would our assessment, would our picture of who Jesus is bear up to reality? Would the two be the same? Well, over the next weeks we get the opportunity to look in as a number of people have just that opportunity as Jesus comes close, as they meet him, as they get to speak with him. And what I'm hoping is that we'll be able to, through their experiences, see the real Jesus, the Jesus of history, the Jesus recorded in the Bible, and to see why you can't meet Jesus and not be changed. And so we're going to use the early chapters of John where we see a series of men and women come close to Jesus and meet him and learn from their experiences. And the first one was read out for us earlier, John chapter 3, and it's worth having open now. It's page 1065 of the Church Bibles, page 1065, John chapter 3. Jesus and the teacher is our first interaction, our first encounter. In the very first verse of John 3, we're told a number of things by way of background about this teacher. We're told four things that affect, in a major way, the way he approaches Jesus. First of all, we're told that he's a Pharisee. Now, a Pharisee was a, a sort of a member of a, a religious group that, that took their religion very seriously. They were a member of, of God's people, Israel, who'd sort of decided that the people weren't, weren't serious enough about their God and about the, the law of their God. And so they took it upon themselves to be that for the people. He was a teacher of God's people, a moral man who knew his scriptures back to front. Now, if there was a man who was going to feel comfortable around Jesus, God's son, surely this man is one like that. The second thing we're told about him is Nic- his name, Nicodemus. Now, even this suggests something about his character. The, the name literally means a conqueror of men. And if you look throughout verse 1 of chapter 3, Nicodemus is no average Joe. He's a prince among men, a leader. 
We're told he's a member of the Jewish ruling council. So not only is he a great religious man, a moral teacher, but he's a mover and a shaker. When he says things, people listen. Surely Jesus would appreciate a visit from one so well connected as Nicodemus. And the final thing we're told about him by way of background is in verse 2. We're told that Nicodemus comes to meet him at night. This is a clandestine meeting. This is a secret meeting. He uses the cover of darkness. He's built up this amazing reputation as a Pharisee and as a, as a leader and he's keen to hang on to it. And so he meets him at night hoping that it will not be known what he is doing. But coming at night also tells us something else that's important by way of background about Nicodemus. You see, all the way through John's Gospel, this idea of darkness, idea of night, is associated with people who are spiritually blind, who when it comes to God, their eyes are closed. And so it might be that all is not as it seems when it comes to Nicodemus. Well, let's have a look. Let's see how this meeting, this interaction between them plays out. And what follows in verses 2 to 15 is a very tense, at a point, angry interaction between these two men. And really it involves three questions from Nicodemus and three answers of increasing length and increasing significance from Jesus. Let's have a look at Nicodemus's first question in verse 2. You see, Nicodemus has arranged this meeting because he is fascinated, like many of us are, with Jesus. He, along with many others in in John chapter 2, had seen Jesus performing miracles, seen the powerful way he was at work. And he was keen to know what was going on. God seemed to be working through him. And so Nicodemus comes as a representative, either of this group that have seen the miracles or a representative maybe of the Pharisees. And he comes to give their assessment of Jesus, what they think of him. And it's glowing. Have a look at verse 2. Here Nicodemus, the master teacher, comes to Jesus and he says, clearly you too are a great teacher. You know, it's like Jesus' Ofsted report. Here is the master teacher coming to him and saying, you're doing a good job. Clearly God's working through you. His gold star. And technically Nicodemus hasn't asked a question in this verse, but he's not just there to pass on his approval. He wouldn't risk this nighttime meeting just for that. You see, he wants to know what God is up to. He wants to know what God is doing through this man, Jesus. We know you're a teacher, but are you more? Remember, Nicodemus' job is to teach God's people, Israel, to teach them about their God, about what their God has done and what he keeps doing and to teach them how to live in a world where that God is king And so if God is doing something now here in the present, then he wants to know about it. He wants to be up to speed. And so he comes to Jesus wanting to know this. And so in verse 3 we get Jesus' response. And at first if you look at uh, verse 3, it seems to have nothing to do with Nicodemus' comment. It's like Nicodemus has said one thing and Jesus over here, there's just no connection. He says, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. As I said, at first it seems to have no connection with Nicodemus' remarks. But look closely. Jesus is saying to him, if you want to know how God is working, if you want to know what God is doing in his kingdom, his world, then you're going to have to totally change. You're going to have to begin all over again because it's not in you to see what God is doing. 
You see, Jesus' response is more than just an answer to Nicodemus' comments. He questions the assumption that Nicodemus has made that he can come before Jesus and assess him as an equal, teacher to teacher. Now the image here is, here is a, 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 an obviously great teacher, Nicodemus, but he has come before the living God. He has come before the one who by his very word created the ends of the earth and he says, I hear you teach a bit too. It's totally out of place. I was reminded uh, when I was thinking about that this week of a friend of mine, uh, Steve, uh, back in Sydney who were both passionate about cricket and he rang me one Saturday morning to boast that the night before he'd been at a, a corporate dinner function and uh, by some freak chance he'd sat next to Steve Waugh, ex-Australian cricket captain Steve Waugh and uh, they'd been chatting away and it'd be going really well until he said, you know, I bat a bit too and he started to tell him about his shots and how Steve could maybe improve his game a little bit and it was at that point that the conversation turned frosty and it was the end of their interaction. And I get that, this impression here. Nicodemus may well be a teacher, but he is standing before the living God. I hear you're a teacher. And so Jesus says, hang on a minute. He says, if you want to know what God is doing, then you need to start all over again. And he says two important things that I think we need to be clear about. He says, If you want to see the kingdom of God, you need to be born again. And in that one sentence we have two big ideas that if we don't understand then we're not going to get what Jesus is saying. Firstly, the the whole idea of the kingdom of God. Now if you look all throughout the Bible, the kingdom of God refers to God's universal reign over this world. Whether we in this world know it or not, he is our creator. By his very word he brought this world into being. By his very word he brought the sun up this morning and by his word he will give you your next breath of air. He is the king. But more than that, the Old Testament speaks of a day when our presumption of being in charge of human rule will end, that God will break into human history at a point in time and he will send his king, his king in the line of the great King David, one of the sons of David, which is Jesus. And then at the end of history, he will bring that kingdom to fulfilment. All will see that he is king and all will kneel before him. That's what the kingdom of God is. And for a Jewish teacher like Nicodemus, seeing the kingdom meant being able to participate in it, being welcomed and known by the king, being able to stand before him on that day. And right at the heart of citizenship of this kingdom is the promise of eternal life. To enter the kingdom of God is to enter life. And as far as Nicodemus was concerned, Jewish tradition said that all the people of God, all the Jewish people would be able to walk straight on into that kingdom. No questions asked. But Jesus says to the teacher of Israel, he says this, no, you can't just enter the kingdom of God unless you've been born again. Which brings us to our second phrase that we need to get on top of, the whole idea of being born again. It's a strange phrase, isn't it? The word Jesus uses for born here literally means to regenerate, to sort of start things again. And we translate it as born because that's the only image we have of something like that, something that's totally new, that's never existed before. Jesus says that's what we need to be like. We need to start all over again like a newborn. And not just born, we have to be born, the Greek word he uses is anothane, 
which has two meanings. It either means again, as our NIV translates it, or it means from above. And both of these meanings are threaded all the way through this passage. You see, what Jesus is saying, if you want to see the kingdom of God, if you want to be able to stand before the king, you need to start all over again and that needs to happen from above. At first glance, it's a bizarre suggestion, isn't it? But what Jesus is saying is actually quite simple. If you flick back to John chapter 1, verses 12 to 13, you see how he makes it very clear what this means. To be born from above, to be born of God, to be a child of God, not just a child of earthly parents. How do you do it? Well, you believe in the one God has sent. You believe in his son Jesus. That is what it means to be born again. But Nicodemus can't get his head around this. And in verse 4 he responds incredulously, how can a man be born again when he's very old? It's a ridiculous suggestion. Are you suggesting, Jesus, that I re-enter my mother's womb and we go through that process again? I'm sure she'll be excited about that idea. I mean, remember, Nicodemus thinks that entering the kingdom of God is as simple as just walking on in. He's, He's one of God's people. And so he can't be talking about that. He must be talking literally. And so he has two problems. One, the sheer stupidity of the suggestion. And secondly, surely he, a Jewish man, a religious man, a well-versed man, surely he is suitable for the kingdom of God. I mean, if he can't make it, who can? And so he laughs at Jesus' answer. We're told in verse 12, unable to believe the words that Jesus is saying. But Jesus presses on. Verses 5 to 8, he gives his second response to Nicodemus' second question. And he says three huge things. Firstly, verse 5, Again, he sticks to his initial response, but he fleshes it out a bit to try and make it clearer. He says, No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and of the Spirit. To be born again means to be born of water and of the Spirit. And again, it's a phrase that it seems impenetrable to us. It doesn't seem to bear any link to reality. But for someone like Nicodemus, it should have. He should have understood what Jesus was saying. You see, again and again in this passage, Jesus berates him for not understanding this. I mean, this this is God's promises 101. This is one of the first things a teacher of God's people would learn and yet he doesn't understand it. He's pointing Nicodemus back to the Old Testament. He says, if you knew that, then you would know this was going to happen. We're not in the privileged position that Nicodemus was to have such a complete knowledge of those scriptures But we can do what Jesus does. We can go back to the Old Testament and see what he is talking about here. And if we do, what we'll find is that again and again in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God is the way he brings life where there is no life. Even at creation, it is the Spirit of God that is at work bringing life into existence. And as you go through the Old Testament again and again, it is the prophets promising that there was coming a day when God would send his spirit on his people and that he would give them a totally new start, a new heart, a new life. We see this most powerfully in Ezekiel chapter 36, 25 to 27 where God promises a day when he would clean and renew his people and he would do this by water and spirit. Here's what he says. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. 
I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you. God had promised this. Nicodemus should have known. But he was too confident in his own status before God to think that he needed to change, let alone be born again. And so Jesus says, first, you must be born of water and spirit. And secondly, verse 6, he says, you can't do this for yourself. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. And with this, I think he's putting his finger on the problem for Nicodemus and the problem for us. It's not in us to make this change that God said is required. We live our lives as if God is not in charge. We live our lives as if we are. It is not in our nature or our inclination or our desires to make this change. Only God can do that. Your flesh here stands for that. It stands for humanity living without God. And the Bible says that we can't write this one. We can't change in the way we're required to, to be born again, any more than we can reverse time and go back to being a newborn. You see, God isn't saying here, you know, come January 1, New Year's resolution time, make a new start, this is a new year. It's not just turn over a new leaf. He's talking about a whole new nature, a whole new person. And he says you can't do that for yourself. This should not surprise Nicodemus, says Jesus. God has said this again and again. And thirdly, Jesus says in verse 8, when the spirit goes to work in a person's heart, you'll know it. It'll be obvious. He says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. Jesus points to the wind as, a, as an example and he says, you know, we can't control the wind. We don't fully understand the ins and outs of it, when it's going to arrive, when it's going to leave. But we can sure feel its effects, can't we? We can hear it, we can sense it, we know it's there. I was reading this morning that just overnight a huge tornado has ripped through the centre of America, flattening entire towns. You know when the wind has come. Jesus says the same with the spirit. When it goes to work on a human's heart, there is no denying it. Because remember, what is the evidence of the Spirit going to work on our heart? It is trusting Jesus. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, to enter God's kingdom, you have to be made new by the Spirit. Only God can do that work. And when he does, it will be obvious and it will last forever. By verse 9, Nicodemus still doesn't get it. Still somewhat bemused, he says, how can this be? How can I be born again? I mean, he would have devoted his life to teaching people how to be ready to meet their God. And here is one suggesting a whole new criteria, a whole new life from above. And so Jesus responds one final time in verses 10 to 15 and he lays the blame for Nicodemus' ignorance right at his feet. You, sir, are the teacher of Israel and yet you don't get it. You should know this. I mean, he's in a privileged position. He knows the promises of God back to front. He's not like us. But now, like us, he has to go back to basics to understand how important what Jesus is saying is. And we, like Nicodemus, need to listen very carefully to the words of Jesus from verse 11 onwards. 
In verse 11, Jesus raises the temperature. Remember back in verse 2, Nicodemus came as a sort of representative. We think you're okay, he said. Now Jesus takes up the royal we and he says, Nicodemus, you and your crew, you think you've got things cornered, you've got it worked out, but you're talking out of your hat. You think you know me and you know God, but you're talking out of ignorance. But we, says Jesus, talking about himself, we speak about things we actually know and we testify about things we've actually seen. Listen carefully, Nicodemus, says Jesus, for you're getting this from the horse's mouth. And so he pushes on, verse 12. He says, you and I, at this stage, we've just spoken about the simple things, the earthly things like new birth. It's actually meant to be simple, Nicodemus, says Jesus. The entry requirement for the kingdom of God, for eternal life, is trusting Jesus. This is simple. But what's the point about talking about what it's going to be like living in the kingdom if you don't even know how to get there, Nicodemus? And so he says, as the only one qualified to talk about such things, let me answer the question you really want to know. And I think it's a question we all need to know when we live in a world as we do where God is in charge. How can a human being ever be ready to meet God? How can a human being ever come before God and live? The answer? Same as it has ever been. By his grace. See it there in verse 14. Just as Moses was lifted up, lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus points us back to another act of God's grace in the Old Testament where his people had so rejected him so consistently that he had sent judgment on them, a plague of snakes. But God is gracious and he had sent them this brass snake that Moses was to hold up and if they looked on the snake they would live. God says, same as it ever was, our God is gracious. In the same way that Moses held up this snake in the desert, Jesus, the Son of Man, must be lifted up. Jesus knew what God was doing through him. He was to be lifted up, higher, strung up on a cross so that the way to heaven may be open, so that we can enter God's kingdom and taste life. You see, the challenge when it comes to standing before God is not being religious enough or knowing enough. If it were, Nicodemus is first in line, isn't he? But like us, he needs to look upon the sun. If you want a new start with God, and we all need one, then look to him and live. What do we make of this first encounter up close with Jesus? Well, fortunately, John does the work for us and what to make of it with the most famous verse in the whole Bible, John 3.16. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. When God looks on this world, he loves it so much, but not because we're lovable, but because we're so broken and we need his love. Nicodemus stands where many of us stand, I suspect, convinced that God will love us, that we deserve that love. We come to Jesus and we think we are equals, that we can assess him and give or take him, it doesn't matter. But he is no philosopher or just a teacher. 
He is God's sent one, the Saviour. God's love writ large, saying, No, Nicodemus, no, Andrew, you are not okay. In fact, you need to start all over again. It's hard to take, isn't it? I mean, some of us might think that sounds great. I'd love a rewind button, I'd love a take two on my life. But many of us, I think, think we've made a pretty good fist of it, that we're doing okay. But Jesus says to Nicodemus and he says to us, if you think your life is found anywhere other than in Jesus, lift it up, then you need to start again. For without him, there is no life. Well, where are you when it comes to Jesus? If you're someone who is here today and you have come to trust in him, that you have looked at the sun lifted up on the cross and found in him life, well then rejoice again today that your God loves you so much. But if you're someone who has come here today a bit like Nicodemus, a bit unsure of what to make of Jesus, then my prayer is that you will finish the way Nicodemus does. You know, he appears two more times in John's Gospel. In, in chapter 7 he appears in broad daylight defending Jesus while the other Pharisees attack him, no longer afraid of being linked with Jesus. And by the end of John's Gospel in chapter 19 verse 39, he is the one along with Joseph of Arimathea who stands there looking up at Jesus on the cross and after he has died carries the body to the grave. And for me, by this stage in the Gospel, Nicodemus is saying, whatever else I do in my life, whatever else I have achieved, I'm with Jesus. For there is no other way by which I can be saved. Nicodemus asked a lot of questions today and you may have many yourself But Jesus asked the most important question, have you been born again from above? Look to Jesus, lift it up and live. Let's pray.